Our gracious Heavenly Father, we pause once again to be reminded that when we come to open up your holy word, we tread carefully because this is your very word. This is your self-revelation. You revealed yourself to us through your word and what you've called us to, and especially a worldview in the gospel that is comprehensive enough to deal with all of the issues in our society by transforming a human heart. Father, help us to never forget that, that we have the answer, not in a proud way, but in a way where we can give people hope by sharing about Jesus. We pray that that is the message that right now we would be most zealous for as we see the things in our city, in our state, in our country, that we would desire to see the greater progress of the gospel in the face of much adversity. Father, we thank you for the fact that we have the freedom to worship you publicly like this, even if limited for now. Thank you for that wonderful freedom that we have to worship you in this country. Father, we pray for your comfort upon those who are hurting all over our country and all over our world, really. We pray, Father, for your justice upon those who are hurting others, who are bringing such hateful hostility to or render upon other people. Father, we pray for your justice. We pray for wisdom for our leaders, local, state, and national level. We pray that you would give these individuals wisdom, that you would help them to set aside themselves and put the citizens of this country, Lord, as their priority. Father, we thank you for the fact that as a church, that we have an opportunity right now, a joyful, yes, difficult, but a joyful opportunity right now to live out our Christianity and to show the world a unity that is profound, a unity that is from the heart that is genuine and authentic, that is unhypocritical, a unity that is not temporary but eternal, that goes beyond this present world. Father, we look forward to that day, that time when we, as you're redeemed, will reign with Christ in a new heavens and a new earth, where righteousness dwells, where there is no more pain, no more hurt, no more hostility, no more exploitation, no more injustice, but the justice one, Christ, will reign. Father, thank you for that wonderful hope that we have. Help us to live in the light of that hope in the here and now on this earth, on mission to make disciples who will exalt Jesus, that he might add to his church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today is Father's Day, as you know, and... Um, I was thinking and reflecting upon fathers and my own dad um, this week, just uh, thinking back over the years at things that fathers love to do. And as you know, if there's something that fathers love to do, especially faithful dads, is dads love to give advice, don't they? Right? How many of you dads love to give advice? What? Just a handful? All right, some of you are not being honest. Dads love to give advice, even when it's not asked for, right, kids or younger some of us who are younger. And even after the kids are gone, dads love to give advice. Well, here's some advice that some famous fathers would have liked to have given to their kids, all right? Here's Christopher Columbus's father. I don't care what you've discovered, Christopher. You could have written to us. Just let it sink for the rest of you, okay? How about Michelangelo's father? Mike, can't you paint on walls like other children? Do you have any idea how hard it is to get that stuff off the ceiling? 
Here's Napoleon's father. All right, Napoleon, if you aren't hiding your report card inside of your jacket, then take your hand out of there and prove it. For those of you who don't know, Napoleon's always depicted with, in pictures with his hand in his pocket. Right? What about Goldilocks' father? Goldilocks' father. I've got a bill here, says the dad, for a broken chair from the Bear family. Do you know anything about this, Goldie? Albert Einstein's father. But Albert, it's your senior picture. Can't you do something about your hair? Styling gel, mousse, something. Thomas Edison's father. Yes, of course I'm proud that you invented the electric light bulb, Thomas. Now turn off that light and go to bed. And finally, so that I don't continue to torture you guys with this, Humpty Dumpty's father. You can see this one coming. Humpty, if I told you once, I've told you a hundred times not to sit on the wall. But you would not listen to me. No, you wouldn't listen to me. Fatherly advice. Fatherly advice. Well, I pray that you're thankful for it today and that you look back at your journey uh, with your own dad, even despite whatever difficulties were there growing up, and that you are thankful for your dad and for the advice and counsel that your dad did did give you over the years. To my own dad, I also want to uh, officially say happy happy uh, Father's Day, Papi George. Thank you for all of your influence in my life and for your investment in my life. And I pray that we would all do that with our dads. Obviously, if your dad is alive still, if not, this is a wonderful opportunity for you to spend some time before the Lord and thank the Lord for your dad. Amen. Thank the Lord for your dad and for his influence in your life. Well, it is Father's Day, and today I want to encourage us and challenge us, uh, challenge us especially who are fathers in our role and about the importance of fatherhood, okay? About the importance of fatherhood. Uh, You know, if you're like me, perhaps this morning you're well aware of the sobering responsibility that it is to be a dad. Um, You're also aware, as I am, especially today, of how much we fall short of God's standard. Amen, men? Uh, We fall so short of God's perfect standard. Maybe you feel the weight uh, this morning uh, on the, the reality that fatherhood is difficult. Fatherhood is challenging, no matter where you fall in the spectrum of this. Some of us are aspiring one day to be fathers. Others of us are just starting out as fathers. Others of us are right in the heat of the battle with young and older kids in the home. So we're in the, in the middle of father, fatherhood. Others of you are looking back now on your rearview mirror on your past times of just fathering, your journey of fathering. Your children, boys and girls. On top of this sobering responsibility then, many of us have come from very different backgrounds and upbringing. Some of us no longer have our fathers with us today, right? Others of us have had very good fathers. Not perfect fathers, but faithful ones who sought to do the best that they could given the resources that they had. And then some of us have had very difficult fathers and a very difficult journey. Or perhaps some of us have had absentee fathers, fathers who abandoned us. Maybe we've never saw our biological dads. We all come from different backgrounds, experiences. We all have baggage, some pleasant, obviously, and some very painful. I'm well aware of that this morning. But I want you to know that no matter what experiences that you've had, this morning's message is for you. This morning's message has something for all of us. For those of us who are now past fatherhood, 
in the sense that your kids are no longer under your roof in your home. This is a wonderful opportunity for you to be reminded of the fact that your mission in that area of helping others be godly fathers isn't over. Now you pass this on to your own kids, to your own sons, if you have sons. Or now you have the responsibility to disciple, to train other men, younger men in the church, to be godly fathers. Some of us have the wonderful opportunity, given some of the single parents, single moms especially, here in our church, to come alongside of them and, and, and support them in their role to raise their, their kids in a single parent home. We have wonderful opportunities. So this is applicable to all of us as a church, including you ladies. If we understand God's divine design for the family according to his word, then we understand that this is an important issue for all of us. I'm sure I don't have to tell you that there's a, a, a battle going on for the deconstruction of the family in our society. So this mission of helping families be strong as part of the greater family of God is all of our mission. This is not an, an irrelevant message to, to any of us. God wants thriving families, and we have a wonderful opportunity to invest ourselves into that so that families are strong. And especially this morning, I want to emphasize so that we have strong godly fathers now my approach this morning is a bit different i want us to look together at the ultimate father our heavenly father every dad every father falls short i do and i know you would say the same thing but not our heavenly father right i want to answer the question what kind of a father is he and what can we learn as fathers from the perfect father and I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12 with me, okay? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11 is our base text that my brother, uh, Pastor Alex, uh, uh, read earlier. Hebrews chapter 12. The writer of Hebrews has been hammering, if you understand this book, he's been hammering into his readers the reality of the supremacy of Christ. And his message in the book of Hebrews is very simple. Christ is greater Christ is better. Christ is better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the Old Testament covenant. He is the ultimate and better sacrifice. He is the better and greater high priest. He has inaugurated a better covenant, the new covenant. Christ is greater. Christ is better. He is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews is telling his audience, these professing believers, Jewish Christians primarily, don't go back to Judaism. Don't go back to any dead system of religion. Cling to the faithful one, the one who died once for all to deliver you from your sins. Don't go back to dead religion that doesn't accomplish salvation in your life. This is his central message. And then by the time we get to Hebrews chapter 12... He's talking to them about how to be people of faith in the face of suffering, in the face of trials and difficulties that the, and, tr and troubles that they might experience. And his message is simple. As you go through trials, look to the example of the, the one who endured, Jesus Christ himself. Look to him, your high priest, as you run the race. And trust in your heavenly Father. Trust your heavenly Father. And so then the focus becomes, in verses 7 through 11, on how the Father relates to us as His children, as believers, who put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
How does the father relate to us as his children? And so the question we want to answer is, what kind of father is he? What kind of father is he? And dads, what can you and I learn from the ultimate perfect father that will be of an encouragement to us this morning, that will challenge us in our role and responsibility of fathering? What can we learn? And we glean first and foremost from this text, I want you to notice that God is an engaged father. He's an engaged father. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that God is, is not like many dads, earthly dads, who are often distant, who are often indifferent, who are often disengaged from their fathering responsibilities. He's active. Our Heavenly Father is active and involved. He's tuned in to the life of His children in a very intimate way. And, and God's active involvement with us as His children is underscored here by this repeated mention of the key word discipline, if you will notice with me. Nine different times in verses uh, 5 through 11, that word discipline appears. Look with me in verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he what? He disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline, verse 7, that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Verse 9. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of lights and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But He, the Father, Father God, disciplines us for our good, so that we may share His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Nine different times just in those verses, this word discipline appears. It's, the, it appears. it's this Greek word paideia. It refers in this context to God's proactive, comprehensive training of us as his children. Sure, it involves his correction and his reproof, even in the context of trials, but it also involves his instruction, his guidance of us as his children. And even the consequences for our disobedience when we go along a path that doesn't honor Him. The point being that God is actively engaged, actively involved. He is an active participant, not a passive spectator in the lives of His children. He nurtures us. He brings us up. He brings correction to our lives so that we may walk along the paths that glorify Him and be blessed by Him. And dads, I want to remind us this morning... Very simply that this, it's this active engagement, this active participation, involvement of God in each of our lives as our Father that then becomes um, the example for we who are human fathers, that we ought to be engaged in the lives of our children. And I know many of you are, but others of us need an encouragement and a challenge this morning to all the more be proactive in this particular area, to be engaged in the lives of your kids. Our culture might say that such training is outdated, right? There are talks and conversations right now about deconstructing even the traditional family from back in Genesis chapter 2. 
that God established, the culture might say that this is overbearing, that this is condescending, or that this is even abusive to speak of fathers being involved in their children in this kind of way and instructing and correcting. And yes, if done sinfully, it certainly can be abusive. Some of us have been the recipients, I know, of such abuse by fathers growing up where involvement was very negative in our lives. I understand that. But when we are engaged in training our children, and hear me, we do it God's way, according to His Word, it brings Him glory. Amen? It brings Him glory. He's pleased by this. Because this is what He desires, that we might glorify Him and experience His blessing, the fullness of His blessings, when we walk in faithfulness by His grace in this area. Scripture speaks about the necessity of fatherly involvement, of fatherly instruction, of fatherly discipline and training. Listen to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Fathers, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. It's fathers there who are charged with a double instruction. On the one hand, do not provoke or make angry in a sinful way your children to anger. But on the other hand, bring them up in the discipline. There's our word. And admonition of the Lord. That word admonition means to put or place in the mind. In the sense of instructing, encouraging, exhorting. This is the primary responsibility of fathers. Though not exclusively, of course. And in Colossians Chapter 3 and verse 21. Fathers are warned how not to train their children. Colossians 3.21. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Exasperate, there is a word to to arouse, to, to anger in a negative way. To irritate, to embitter your children. And then lose heart, to, to cause them to be discouraged or, or disheartened. That's the negative side of how we ought not to be engaging our children. But in both passages, fathers, it's fathers who are primarily, though not exclusively, responsible for taking the lead role in in spiritually shepherding their kids. Fathers. Fathers are to be engaged in training our children. And I don't think I need to convince you this morning, as you look at our country about the sad consequences of fathers missing from many, many American homes. So many single-parent homes. But hear me. Even in homes where there there are fathers, so often the issue is, is that there are absentee fathers. They're physically there, but they're disengaged. They're passive They're not involved in family life, and especially in parenting the kids. They have gone AWOL. That's so much of what we see in our country, don't we? And that should not be the case in the church, brothers and sisters, and especially us dads. Scripture speaks of the danger of not engaging and training our children. Listen to Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. That's a verse speaking not only of instruction, but also of loving and measured physical consequences for disobedience as parents that we should bring on our children. Again, in a loving, gentle, measured way. 
Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Listen to this verse. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And the idea there, train up a child in the way he should go, literally according to his way. In other words, allow him to follow his sinful inclinations, his sinful desires, and he's never going to depart from that. That verse in particular assumes that we understand that the heart of a child is sinful and depraved from the womb, that there's a propensity in every single one of us from the womb to go towards evil. And so what does the wise father do? He understands this, and so he understands that training, discipline, correction, influence, instruction is a deterrent, a restraint to a child's sinfulness. Our active instruction, training, discipline, brothers, is absolutely essential. Our fatherly engagement is absolutely essential. And as dads, we must not punt this off to anybody else as our primary responsibility. Especially when it comes to even our own wives. So oftentimes dads, especially young dads, have the tendency of, well, my wife is doing it, she's spending time doing this, she's spending time engaging the kids. So hey, as long as it's being done, no brother, no dad, no young or older fathers. It is our primary responsibility, first and foremost, to train our kids, to stand in the gap, so to speak, that nobody else can stand in. And so my fellow dads, because I'm in the middle of this as well, As hard as it is, and as unpopular as it might be in our culture, we must be tuned in to our children's lives. And this takes so much grace, doesn't it? This is, this takes, absolutely requires God-empowered courage that you and I just don't have in and of ourselves. We need the Lord's help, amen? We need the Lord's help and courage. Because oftentimes we're going to have to stand in the gap of our children, young toddlers or olders, wanting to go in a particular sinful direction. And in those moments, you and I need to have supernatural spiritual courage to stand in the gap. To not fear our children, but to fear God and reverence God first and foremost. And to honor Him by following His Word. Not following the, the trends of the world that look down on this kind of a thing. 1 Corinthians 16.13 is surely a Father's Day for us to memorize and contemplate today. Be on the alert, dads, my addition. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. The idea there is be courageous. In who? In myself? In my abilities? In who I am? No, in the Lord, Right? Be strong in the Lord. Be courageous in the Lord. So our Heavenly Father is an engaged Father, and we must be engaged fathers as well. What else can we glean from the ultimate Father, from the perfect Father? Secondly, we can learn that He's a relational Father. God is a relational Father. And this is a really important one. Because so oftentimes we think about God's commandments, God's instructions, God's precepts, God's principles. We think about what God asks from us. And you know what we do? We detach those commandments from His person. 
We focus on the do's and don'ts on his laws and forget about the lawgiver who gave those instructions and those commands so that his commandments are not burdensome for us as his children anymore. In other words, what I want us to remember is that God's commands arise out of a relationship that he has with us. God, our Father, has a relationship with us. There's this parent-child relationship where he's our Father, we are his children. And I want you to notice this relational language throughout this passage in the context of God's disciplining of us. Look at verse 7. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with what? Sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And then verse 8, he says, But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. The writer of Hebrews says, In the midst of God's discipline or training of you, don't forget that this whole thing is driven and arises out of the parent-child relationship that he has with you. He is your father. You are his child. He's your dad. That child, parent-child relationship shapes his approach to you. It shapes the way that he relates to you, child of God. Now, it wasn't always that we had a relationship with God, of course, right? The Bible says, as we saw last week, that at one time we were enemies of God, rebels, having no hope and without God in the world. We saw that in Ephesians chapter 2, that we were spiritually dead, children of wrath. That we pursued the sinful course of this world. We pursued our sinful desires. We were hopeless and helpless, spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. But what did God do? But God. Out of His sheer grace, mercy, kindness, and Jesus into the world, His only begotten Son, to die and pay for our sins, so that those who turn from their sins and trust in Christ can be forgiven can be reconciled to God, can receive eternal life, and don't ever forget, can be adopted into His family by faith in Christ. And so how beautiful that that now by faith in the Lord Jesus, we have entered into a relationship with God. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, John 17, 3. To have eternal life is to, is to know God. Not just know facts, intellectual things about God, but to know God personally, intimately, in a personal, ongoing relationship with Him. We who were previously enemies of God, brothers and sisters, are now God's children. God's children. Romans 8.15 says this, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. We've been adopted into God's family through faith in Jesus Christ. This is amazing, isn't it? It's amazing for all of us to remember this, but especially this morning, I want you dads to contemplate this. To reflect on the great reality of the fact that if you are in Christ, you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are now in relationship with God. He is your Father. You are His child. This is the greatest truth that I want to leave with us and remind us of today. 
Hear me. Our first or primary identity is not in our spouse, not in your wife, not even in your kids, not even in your employer. Not, there's no other identity marker that is greater than the one that belongs to you as a child of God, a child of God. That you are in relationship with God as your father. That's an astounding reality, isn't it? Because you know what? In the moments of failure, and we all have them, in the moments of weakness, dads, and you've had them past and present, maybe even this morning you've already had them. There's one reality that never changes if you are in Christ, and it is this, that you are in relationship with God. He's your father. You are his child. You've been adopted into his family. And that doesn't change. No matter how weak you are, no matter how much you failed, no matter what baggage or scars you carry from your own parenting or from your own relationship with your own dad, if you are in Christ, your identity is now as an adopted child of God. Isn't that glorious? That gives great hope and great comfort, doesn't it? And I think the more that we live in the light of the gospel realities of, of us being adopted as sons of our Heavenly Father, the more this will carry over into our relationship with our own children. So often as dads, so many dads, we, we love to portray ourselves as, as the lawgivers. We're the disciplinarians. When dad gets home, it's going to go down, right? So oftentimes, that's how, kind of, how many of us grew up. And we should certainly take the initiative in instructing and correcting our children. Absolutely, we just made that point. But how often we're just, that's, that's all that we're about. And that's all that our kids think that we're about. And yet we need to remember that just as God's commandments arise, flow from a person or relationship with us as his children, that he's called us to follow the same example with our own kids. To cultivate a relationship with our own kids. So can I encourage you and ask you and challenge you dads this morning? How is your relationship with your kids? Little ones, big ones, out of the home. How is your relationship with your kids? Is there a relationship there of, of trust? A relationship there of, of sweetness where they know that you love them, where they know that you care for them? Do you tell your sons and daughters that you love them? Do you communicate affection for them? I'm simply making the point this morning that as fathers, we must strive to cultivate a growing relationship, a healthy relationship with each of our kids. And we all have work to do in that area. None of us have arrived. Even the, the best of fathers that you might think of still will tell you, I have a long way to go in that area. By the grace of God, I want to grow in intimacy with my kids. You see, as dads, we must not resort, as most of us tend to do, to simply be this distant authority figure, this figure that our kids don't even know, that they just see us as disciplinarians, that they just see us as shouting orders at them. We must not be identified simply with that, especially in a sinful way, but cultivating a relationship with them. And can I just encourage you moms, especially some of you younger moms, this is where you can also help. So oftentimes, maybe this isn't the case in your family, that's fine. But for in some families, it's so often the case that, that the moms are waiting for the dad to get home from work, right? And where little Jimmy or little Susie is going to get instructed and corrected or disciplined by the dad. 
And so the dad, after a pattern of this for a long period of time, if you're not careful, becomes the discipline figure. Becomes the one who just comes in and corrects. All of his interaction with the kids then becomes punitive, right? Becomes about his, him disciplining the kids or instructing the kids or correcting the kids in a negative way because they've misbehaved throughout the day. But moms, you have a wonderful opportunity not only to, to lovingly call your husband to lead in that, yes, but also to facilitate fun times between them and their dad. Times of just doing stuff together. My wife does that. She so skillfully, oftentimes without even me ever asking her, just looks for opportunities and ways to, to force me to make sure that we are engaged as a family, doing fun things, doing just, just letting our hair down and just having a blast together. I love that about her. This is how we can work as a team together. And moms, how you can help as well. Dads, fathers, our kids, young or older, need a relationship with their dad. They need a relationship with their father. They need to know that you care. They need to know that you love them. They need to know that that you're engaged in their lives. That you actually are intimately acquainted with what's going on with them. This cultivating a relationship with them takes sacrifice, doesn't it? It means, practically speaking, that we need to learn to say no to certain things. I've had to learn this even as a, as a young dad and still learning it, that there are times when I just have to learn to say no. I just have to say no. And people, no matter who they are in our lives, need to understand, you know what? I just can't do that. I just can't. I love to spend time with you. I'd love to go to that event. I'd love to do this particular thing, but I need to make sure that I spend time with my family. I had to do that this week. I had to do that this week. But this is a battle for all of us. For all of us. It's good and healthy, dads, for people to understand that you're not always available for them because you need to shepherd your family first and foremost. Not exclusively, not in a family olatry kind of way. Where we worship our families. It's always about our family. Who cares about everybody else? Right? But in a measured and godly manner. In a balanced manner. Where people understand. I need to be in the home right now. I need to take care of business there. I need to be relating to my family first and foremost. Remember the order of priorities. You are a child of God first. And all that comes with that. Devotion to the Lord. Walking with Christ. You are a child of God first. You are then a husband. And that marriage relationship is above even your fathering responsibilities. Then you are a father. Then you are an employee. Then you are a friend of people. Then there are hobbies and entertainment and everything else that follows after that. But so oftentimes, what do we do? We turn these on their head, don't we? Hobbies, socialization, entertainment. We elevate those above God, above the church, and above the family. And instead, it's all about us. It's all about those things that we want. Cultivating a relationship takes sacrifice. Learning to say no. Cultivating a relationship requires time on our part, dads. Ephesians 5.16. Make the most of your time, Paul writes to the Ephesian church, because the days are evil. Make the most of your time. Redeem the time because the days are evil are evil. Do I have to remind us, dads, this morning that these are evil days, aren't they? God 
wants us to purposefully set aside time to invest into our kids, to be engaged in their lives, because we're living in evil days. And let me remind you, things won't always remain in your home as they are. One day those little ones will grow up. One day those grown-up kids will be out of from under your roof. Things won't always be as they are. We won't be able to buy the time back. We won't be able to redeem that time back. Time is irreplaceable and precious. So we must invest when? Now. Now, brothers. And we need grace to do that, don't we? To do it deliberately and purposefully in the way that honors the Lord. So are you spending time with your kids? Dates? Maybe as they get bigger, formal and informal conversations, just being strategic about spiritual um, conversations with your kids, just doing fun stuff together so that in the flow of life, you have many teaching moments where you're discipling your children, especially us dads. Think of Jesus, our Lord. Think of him. How did he minister? He was so relational, wasn't he? I mean, we get snapshots in the Gospels of teaching times, and that was his primary priority, to teach concerning the kingdom of God and the gospel of his kingdom. But he spent time and did stuff with his disciples, didn't he? He ate with them, and he had meals with them. He attended weddings with them. He had many retreats with his disciples. There was an ongoing relationship between our Savior and his disciples. And so it's Christ-like to be personal that way. It's Christ-like to be um, relational. What else can we learn from the ultimate father, from the perfect father? He's an engaged father. He's a relational father. Thirdly, he's a loving father. He's a loving father. His discipline, his, his training of us, his relationship with us is out of a heart of love for us. Love for us. The world doesn't herald this, does it? Just look at, just find out, Google what the world considers to be a good, successful father. I did it this week. With a couple of exceptions, love wasn't at the top of that list. To be a loving father. What does the world herald? Fathers who are lazy and passive? Couch potato dads? Just watch some of the sitcoms. Okay? What are dads doing? They're passive. They're idiots. They're airheads, disengaged. They have nothing to say. The mom has all the wisdom, right? And the dad's a pushover. That's what the world heralds. The world heralds cool and hip dads. The world heralds good-looking, physically strong, and in-shape dads. Okay? Definitely doesn't apply to me. Successful fathers, the world heralds successful fathers who work so hard, they hardly ever see their family, but hey, they, they provide all material things for their family, not just the basic needs, but excessive materialism. The world heralds those kind of dads. The world heralds stoic fathers, fathers who never show emotion, fathers who never display affection to their kids. I mean, I, I have talked to so many men, men that I've had a relationship with, men that I've counseled, who have told me many times, you know, one thing that my dad never said to me, I love you. I love you. Always so stoic. Didn't want to appear to be weak. Didn't want to show affection because, because that would be weakness. And maybe I would take advantage of his authority. So he never told me that I love you. 
And they do that, they say that regretfully. Regretfully. Some of us grew up with fathers who were simply authority figures. Authority figures. Fathers who perhaps even abused that authority. Leaving us wondering for the rest of our lives if they really ever meant to do us any good. They abused the authority that God had given them as leaders of their house. Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us how our Heavenly Father exercises His supreme authority. Look at verse 9. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers, that is physical fathers, human fathers, to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? In other words, isn't God your heavenly Father so much more trustworthy than your earthly fathers? And then he expands in verse 10. For they, human fathers, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. That is, human fathers did their best, but they were imperfect. Even the best of fathers are fall short, imperfect. But he, verse 10, but he, God our Father, disciplines us for our, what beloved? Our good, so that we may share his holiness. Underline that. Why does God discipline us? How does, why, how, how does God deal with us? For what motive? For our good. That we may be holy like Christ. That we may become like Jesus. One mentor once told me, Kempis, true love is most concerned with the purity of its object. Genuine true love is most concerned with the purity of its object. Surely, that describes God's love for us, right? He wants us to be pure. He wants us to be like Jesus. Everything that he does, even his, his correction of us, is for the purpose of us becoming like Christ. It's for our good. It's for our, our benefit. Then he adds in verse 11, notice, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. In other words, though God's loving discipline is painful, though it's difficult, all of God's dealings with us are ultimately for the purpose that we would grow in righteousness, the righteous attitude and behavior that glorifies him. It's for our good. It's for character building as his children. Our Heavenly Father loves us. Therefore, He only will do that which is good for us. James 1.16 Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of light, speaking of God, our Father, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. And then in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, Jesus says this, If you then... Being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? And we love Romans 8.28, don't we? For we know that God, our Father, causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. Listen, if you are God's child, no matter how grim things look, sometimes you can rest assured that all will work together for good because your heavenly Father loves you. Everything is for His glory and for our benefit. 
And I asked the question, Dad, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? But that if this is God's love for us as his children, we ought to follow his lead, right? Love our families by doing them good, by serving them, by sacrificing for them. It should not be that we use the authority that God has given us as, as heads of our home. And that word headship there, the fact that, we, that the husband is the head of the home, implies in their authority. I know authority is a bad word in our culture right now. Abusive authority is sinful. But authority in and of itself is a God-given thing. Remember that. It's corrupt authority. It's abusive authority that is wrong and dishonors God. And God is against that. But authority in and of itself is a good thing. And as as it pertains to fathers, we should never be fathers who act in the home to harm or to hurt, but instead to heal and to do good. Not to destroy and, and dismantle, but to build up and to edify, to encourage. And many of us I know have failed in this area. Even perhaps this week you failed in this area. We must remember as fathers that authority is God-given. It doesn't belong to us. It's not inherent in us. It's delegated authority given to us by God for a time that is to carry out our stewardship of our families here in this, on this earth. And that authority is for a specific purpose. And listen, that specific purpose is for the benefit and the good of our wives and our kids. And when we operate outside of those parameters, we displease the Lord. And we bring harm to our own families. By the way, I should say this, especially given our culture and the way things are right now. You are not a loving father, brothers, when you withhold instruction and correction from your children. You're not a loving father when you withhold correction or instruction from your children. That is loving and measured and gentle. Listen to Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline or train your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. What kind of father would ever desire such a thing? Your son or your daughter's death. I mean, in an instant, we would give our lives for our kids. Amen. In an instant, we would do that. But what that proverb is saying is that when you and I don't instruct or correct our children, we're leaving them vulnerable to the harm that can come to them by continuing on that sinful path. So it's not loving to withhold correction when you see your child, young or older, heading down a path that is, that is going to destroy them, that is going to harm them. That is not loving. Proverbs thirteen twenty four, He who withholds his rod... Literally, his correction or his discipline hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines or trains him diligently. When we train our children in love, we are loving them as God loves us. Listen to Proverbs 3.11. My son, do not reject the discipline or instruction of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. You delight in your children. You love them. You cherish them. You treasure them. There needs to be correction. There needs to be positive instruction. 
Both are necessary in how we love them. What are some ways that we can love our children as fathers? What are some ways? Let me give you some, okay? First, love the Lord first. Dads, fathers, if we want to love our children in the way that God wants us to love them, we need to be prioritizing loving the Lord first. Walking with Christ first. Our The greatest gift that we can give our children right now is the example of devotion to prayer and to the word as their fathers and dads. That they see dad on his knees. That they see dad in the word. That they see dad reading books that are edifying, that build you up. That they see daddy, their father, spending time with God in private. That you prioritize that. That you prioritize your devotion and your walk with the Lord first and foremost. Because that's as our relationship with God goes, so will our fathering and our parenting. Amen? It will. So we need to be men of the word. Men of prayer. And none of us have arrived. All of us have work to do in that area. But our children need to see that effort by the grace of God. That we love spending time with God. Love the Lord first. Love the Lord first. Before we can call our families, and especially our kids, to follow and love Jesus, we need to do the same thing. They need to see that in us. Secondly, love their mom. Love the Lord. Love their mom. You want to love your kids? My team ought to you that I'm encouraging, love your wife. We need to show our kids a visible example of what it means to love, cherish, value, and serve the most important lady in their lives. Amen, brothers? They need to see this. In a a world that, that doesn't treat women right, that doesn't value and cherish women, we need to show our children something different in the home, that we love their mom. I remember one godly mentor once saying to me, after asking me about, hey, how's time with Andrea going? How, you know, I was a newlywed and all of that. How's your time with her going? How's your relationship? What are the struggles that you guys are having? And we talked about that. And then he said this to me that I'll never forget, something along these lines. Kempis, when your kids look back at their dad, whether you're there physically or you're, you're, the Lord's taking you home, let it be that they can say, you know what, my dad wasn't perfect. He had his issues, but there are two things that I remember about my dad, that he was passionately in love with Jesus and that he was passionately in love with my mom. And boy, did I see that. I got to see that. Passionately in love with God and passionately in love with my mom. What an example, huh? I want that to be said about me by God's grace. Third, be devoted to the family. Be devoted to the family. We've talked about this a little bit already. Prioritize family time. Not in an idolatrous way, but in a God-honoring way where they know that you are available to them, that you cherish and care for them, that you want to meet their needs as the beginning of your ministry. And when I say that ministry, I'm not talking about pastors. Life, people are ministry. And our first ministry as followers of Jesus is our family, right? That's not where our ministry ends. That would be family-olatry. 
right? Idolizing our family where it's all about the home. Who cares about what happens outside? No involvement in the church. No. But our first and foremost responsibility is their ministry flows first and foremost from the home. Amen? So be devoted to the family. Does your family, do your kids, dads, see that you want to spiritually lead them? Do your kids know that dad will drop anything at the drop of a hat for them to be there for them? Do they know that? That that's how much you love them, that that's how much you're devoted to them. Fourth, be devoted to the church. Be devoted to the church. Show your kids that the kingdom of Christ is why we are all here ultimately, beginning with them, calling them to follow Jesus and setting the gospel before them. Take them along to serve. Show them what it means to serve Christ and his people. That's a way to love our children. Fifth, provide and protect them. Provide for them and protect them. What are they watching? What are they listening to? What are they exposing themselves to? And there's balance here, right? We don't want to be helicopter dads. But we are watchmen. And that doesn't mean that that we are micromanaging everything. That we are control freaks, legalists. That we never give our kids an opportunity to, to, to test things out. To see how they respond. If they're going to follow God or not follow God in those moments. But we need to protect them. It does mean that we recognize that there's a spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. So we need to warn them about about having spiritual discernment. About dangers that lurk in the world. Warn them about destructive ideologies. Thinking fortresses as we were talking about last week. That drive movements and all of that. And these are in entertainment and social media and music and all of that. As dads, we need to be on the forefront, brothers, of protecting our family and warning our kids from this. Within biblical parameters and gentleness and with grace and patience, of course. Finally, can I encourage you dads? Get help. Get help. Commit this week, if you need help in this area, commit this week to reaching out to somebody for help. Reach out to a godly man in the church. Reach out to one of us as your shepherds. Be honest about where you're at. Maybe you're sitting here listening to the sermon and you're like, man, I want to be that man. I know that I fail at this. Right now, I just, I'm lost. I don't know what I'm doing, Pastor Kempis. Listen, there is help. There is the church. Amen? There's discipleship in the church. There's mentoring in the church that you can pursue. All you got to do is ask. Connect to a small group. If you're not a part of a, of a fellowship group, Even right now during quarantine, fellowship groups are still going. These wonderful shepherding hubs where there are elders or godly leaders and teachers in there who are shepherding you. It's for mutual care and encouragement and and accountability, these small groups. Make sure that you participate in one of those. Every single one of us who are members of this church ought to be a part of one of those small groups. There's also men's small groups. Where men get together with various studies throughout the week, even by Zoom, going through different things for your mutual encouragement and edification and accountability. This is where you're going to, you got to position yourself to be a faithful dad. Because you cannot do this on your own. You need the help of other godly men, other men who are struggling perhaps the same way as you are, maybe even more. And you'd be surprised if you're honest and transparent about this and you seek help. 
how much help there is. Well, I'm sure, dads, that you feel the sobering responsibility, right? Of being a dad, of being fathers. Even if you're a grandparent now, you feel the sobering responsibility of, of investing into, into your grown kids as well to make sure that as they move into the future, their family is strong. We feel the sobering responsibility of providing that help for one another, even in the local church. But I want to remind us that God never calls us to do anything that is difficult from our perspective without providing the grace to do it. Amen? Always provides the grace to do this. We need grace. And Hebrews 4.16 says that we can come boldly before the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. There is grace, brothers. There is grace to be faithful to the Lord. But what I want us to do right now, I want to encourage you to close your eyes, all of us, but especially for us dads, fathers, I want you to take a few moments of silence right now. And I want you to ask yourself, how am I doing? Self, how am I doing right now? How am I doing as a father? Are there some areas that were elucidated by this message that you need to work on? Spend some time talking to the Lord about that. Maybe confessing your sin to Him in that particular area. Maybe there are things that you need, to, you need to repent of and come clean before the Lord. He already knows your heart. But maybe there are things that you need to repent of. Spend some time doing that for a few moments, okay? Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, how sweet is forgiveness for those of us who are in Christ. Your word says in Romans 8, verse 1, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And even today, Father, so oftentimes these holidays, Mother's Day, Father's Day, become just reminders for us of our weakness, of our failures, past and even present, maybe of our upbringings that were difficult. Father, how beautiful that in Christ Jesus you're making all things new, that there is forgiveness for our sins, that Christ said it is finished, and that there is no longer any condemnation for us who are in Christ. Help us to live in the light of that, Lord. For those who are, of us who are forgiven in Jesus, that doesn't mean that we now sin so that grace may increase, even in our fathering, but that we desire to be faithful for your glory. Not as a means to gain favor before you anymore. Not as a means to be saved. Our works our kindness, our love, our engagement with our families now, all of those things are now the fruit of a forgiven sinner that is full of gratitude, full of just a thankful heart for all that you've done, full of love for you, for what you've done for us in loving us through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be reminded of that this morning. We pray for your forgiveness. We pray for your renewal. We pray that you would help us to, Lord, be humble Dads, humble fathers who seek help if we need it, and we all do. Help us to remember that we all need discipleship to one extent or the other. Help us to seize upon the wonderful opportunity that we have as a church to do that with one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible. Copyright by the Lockman Foundation.